Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who I can think of nobody else I would rather spend a day in the woods with, drinking wine, smoking roll-ups and climbing trees. <laughs> it's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I am very well indeed, very well indeed. I've been baking this weekend. It's, I've been Scottish baking for International Day at my wife's school. Um, I mean, my wife's like part West Indian and part English, so I'm not sure why she wants to take Scottish things to school. I suspect it's because she can't be asked to make anything West Indian or English to take in. Um, so yeah, I made scones yesterday and I made some tablet. Now, you sent us photos mm. on the, the group chat of the scones and tablets and they looked incredible, I have to say. Um have you tasted them or, have. or were they all for the school? No, no. Yeah. Um, How were they? I had them now with the scones. I think they could be a, a wee bit sweeter. The The recipe was for sultana swans, but uh, sultana swans. Sultana. Swans. <laughs> sultana scones. But I'm, I'm the only person in the house that likes sultanas, so I didn't put them in. Uh, and as a result, they could have been a wee bit sweeter. Um, but they were still nice. Uh, and the tablet, of course, is the antithesis of um, not-so-sweet scones. It's like... You know what I mean? It's like it's just all sugar. You just feel so. You feel your do you have, a, a, have you got a dentist appointment this week <laughs> that you you made tablets? It's, it's the kids that, that I'm worried about because I because I, I I had I had one bit and I was like, well, it tastes like tablet. It was a, it's the first time I've made it, so I never made tablet before. So I've been like researching all week. I've been watching people on YouTube um, making tablet, and they, they use their camera phones and to film it because they're just like just normal they're just people they're not like chefs or anything they're just like normal scottish people just showing off their tablet recipes so i I tasted it because i'm not actually a big fan of tablet because like you Mm. i find it ridiculously sweet and you can feel your teeth kind of rotting with every little tiny bit that you have so but it it tasted like tablet so that's the main thing um so i should have um i should have told you um if you told me beforehand because my sister makes the most fucking incredible tablet. Oh, really? However, like literally one bite of a square and I'm like, okay, that's enough for me because <laughs> it's so sweet. But yeah, yeah, Wendy makes amazing tablets. Oh, right. So uh, I should have I should have told you that um, if you'd asked me before. Yeah, let's go. I have to compare notes with her. So I will see what she, see what she puts in it because I bought I bought loads. I, I, I overestimated the amount of um, condensed milk that I would need so I bought two like normal sized tins but for the recipe that I made you only need like a sort of thimble full of fucking condensed milk so I've got this I've got this open can of condensed milk that every time I go into the fridge I keep sticking my finger in it just to have a little taste of it <laughs> oh very nice well I hope the scones and the tablet go down very well I'm sure they will I'm sure they will but yeah it's half term here next week so I've, I've got w- one day of work and then I've got the rest of the week off so I'm looking forward to that oh wonderful are you up to anything exciting no uh well i'm not the, uh, <laughs> the kids no nope. the kids are at an age where they just go and do their own they've got their own plans do you know what i mean so i'll be i'll be dropping off and picking up no doubt but that's it that's it you're counting down to your caribbean holiday uh yes well we're in a weird time loop here uh listeners we are recording this before i go away on holiday but this episode actually won't come out until after i'm back from holiday <laughs> So we're recording this well in advance. Uh, yes, I'm off to Barbados for kind of a, it's kind of honeymoon stroke wedding money. Uh, like, and we got married two and a half years ago, but yeah, yeah. we're just going on our Barbados uh, holiday now because there's been some strange little flying monkey virus going around. So um, yeah. yeah, we haven't been able to 
<laughs> to travel properly. So yes, we are off on our holidays. So we're looking forward to it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, speaking of traveling, um, my wife and I were watching The Apprentice mm. this week. As as we do, because we had, uh, we love The Apprentice. Like I know you're I, maybe not a huge no, fan. No, I'm a big but... fan of The Apprentice. It's just I'm not I'm oh. not as I'm not as eye player accessible as you are. Okay. So. Well, um, so this current series, there has been a Scottish contestant, Reese, and he's he's been doing okay. Like I quite liked him. Mm. He was kind of one of my picks to get into the final five. He's the type of person that I thought they would keep in until the final five and then he would make a total fucking arse of the interview and get booted out and they would keep him in for a kind of a comedy vehicle however um on the episode that was just on this week they went to dubai uh, on this episode, I think I did and see that. On like a kind of actually, now you mentioned. Ah, yeah. so they they had to put on like a corporate away day, and it was the usual fucking shit, you know, like a desert safari and boat tour and mm-hmm. coffee making and tasting type thing. And the Scottish contestant Reese, you saw him at the start of the episode, <laughs> and he was all excited packing his stuff, and, and then you saw him at the airport, and they find out they were going to Dubai, and he was all excited and stuff, and then you didn't see him again. <laughs> the entire episode and and nobody mentioned anything until they got back to London and they were in the boardroom and Lord Sugar why am I calling him Lord Sugar fucking Alan (laughs) says so as you know Reese couldn't take part in this task and he has now left the process and you're like eh what (laughs) so uh, it came out that Reese put on his social media that he had left for health and health reasons basically And, and it did say health over wealth was his hashtag right However, it has come out that um, the reason that he left is that he got pished on the plane to Dubai and (laughs) (laughs) the production crew were like, "Uh, no, you can't take part in this task because you're fucking hammered. (laughs) So technically it was health and safety reasons. Um, But yeah, so he he had to leave the process. My wife was like, oh, that's a a terrible advert for Scotland. I was like, that's the most typically Scottish thing I could think of. He's got fucking pished on the plane to Dubai (laughs) he's arrived steaming and hasn't been allowed to take part in the task I mean I imagine they probably would have got flown business class so business class either with British Airways or Emirates it's going to be it's going to be pretty nice yeah. It was um it was definitely Emirates because they were in the when they were in the airport there was Emirates oh. signs behind them. So I was like, okay, so they obviously got the flights paid for yeah. because they're doing that little bit of sneaky advertising on the BBC there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Terminal three. Um I yeah. thought I thought you were gonna say that it turned out that he had like a phone he had lived in Dubai before, like ten years ago and he had a phone bill that he hadn't paid. <laughs> So they wouldn't let him into the country or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that'll come out. Um, yeah. Maybe that was one of the reasons as well. But no, um, <laughs> apparently he just uh, had a few mini, two little mini bottles of red wine on the flight over. Oh, good for him. <laughs> yeah, good for him. He's fucked his, um, yes. his chance at being Alan's business partner, but good for him. I think, I mean, I think the thing about The Apprentice is what's kind of unique about it is like all the other sort of, again, I guess The Apprentice is a bit of a, a sort of high level sort of corporate talent show and you know it's not like x factor where it's about singing or uh, what's the other one um what's the one with bantha holding in it's going right in my head the great the british um, britain's got talent britain's got talent fucking hell um where they have to sort of change the judges every so often to sort of keep it fresh i think i, I think alan sugar's two guys that that guy nick he he left to go and present countdown didn't he? Yeah. nick uh, nick Hewer. i always liked him and then he had yeah. that 
he had that sort of that woman that looked a bit like the woman off the chase. Um, can't remember her name. Remember the short hair? Remember Margaret? Yeah, she looked well. She was sort of like a. It was Margaret and Nick. Yeah, it's Margaret and Nick. But Margaret looked a wee bit like a thinner version of the woman off the chase. Like the woman that's been in the really? chase. Yeah, well, does she not? Maybe not. I don't think so. It's been a long time. Know. It's been a long time. But like, the thing is, like, essentially it's the same every season. It's just Alan Sugar bollocking people and yeah. and rationing out a little bit of praise every now and again to people <laughs> who have done well. But I guess what makes it interesting is the uh, participants, you know, the contestants. Would you call them? Because they're always candidates. Candidates. That's it. Oh, fucking hell. Um, they're um, they're always quite interesting. I always remember um, Stuart Bags, who called himself Stuart Bags the Brand. <laughs> R.I.P. Oh, what happened to him? Oh, he died a few years ago. Did he? Oh, yeah. Sorry to hear that. Quite a sad tale. Yeah. Right. No, unfortunately, he passed away. Oh, well. And of course, the Apprentice gave us um, Katie Hopkins as well. That's, of course, she came to the Apprentice, didn't she? And what's what's Alan's? Karen, the she's got the Birmingham City is she a football club. Has she still got Birmingham City? Uh, West, no, Ham. West Ham. West Ham. She's she is now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she was Birmingham City. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's where she she um, rose to prominence. Um, but yeah, I think she's um, yeah like executive director or something at West yeah. Ham. You know, yet still good looking woman. So she is Karen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's had a lot of work done, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's all right. <clears throat> she's all right. Okay. Anyway, um, my wife listens to this, so um, better not say anything. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, right. <laughs> So that was a little bit of news, I guess, from uh, from Scotland this week about poor old Reese getting pitched on the plane in Dubai. But shall we have a look at the other news that's been happening in Scotland this last week? Cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen in the news this week in Scotland that has caught your eye and you would like to share with me and our listeners? Well, we've had the Loch Ness Monster on the Swally before. Uh, this is another, this is a, a, a sort of update. Um, it comes from the Daily Record on the 9th of February of this year. The headline reads, Loch Ness Monster Mystery uh, Solved as Nessie Spotted More than 3,000 miles away. The most recent Nessie sighting is reported to be as far afield as North Carolina, but one woman believes she has solved the mystery surrounding the fabled beast. So, I mean, you know, this, this, this only happens like every few years, you know. So, the fabled beast believed to exist in the Scottish Highlands in Loch Ness, crucially, is now feared to have moved away from its home country after allegedly being spotted in foreign waters. A snake sea-like creature which which shares a striking resemblance to Nessie, a striking resemblance to something that nobody's ever really seen, was spotted <laughs> with its head out the water off the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, horrified witnesses saw its body surface before it dipped back into the water, leaving them questioning whether or not it was the mythical creature. I think we can answer that question for them. Chaz and Tails Outdoors Bait and Tackle Store posted a clip of the monster with the caption, It's something you don't see every day. Whales or the Loch Ness monster in the port this morning. So there's a bit of a leap there. It's it's either whales or the Loch Ness monster. It's just nothing in between. Uh, they've never seen one in the inlet like this. Thousands of baffled social media users took to the comments to speculate what the beast in the footage was. One person replied, Now that is strange. Odd looking head for sure. Some suggested the sea creature was perhaps a gator, while others said it might be a baby whale. However, another commentator was quick to shut this theory down as they wrote, No way is it any of the animals mentioned, including 
a baby whale or a alligator. Its motion is too graceful, it has protrusions on its head and a long feather-like flipper in the rear. I honestly don't know of any sea creature that fits that description. Meanwhile, other conspiratists were <laughs> convinced the beast was the mythical Loch Ness Monster, <laughs> which is thought to live in Scotland. One comment read, Definitely a Loch Ness Monster. I saw two the same day I saw Bigfoot walking a black panther on a leash. <laughs> Uh, there is much debate surrounding whether or not Nessie is a fictional creature or not, but this isn't the first time a wild theory about the creature has emerged. To settle the debate, we've accumulated a few sightings to distinguish what's fact and what's fiction. Last year, Sue Q, I think it's pronounced, uh, who's 60, watched a documentary about Nessie when she realised she had spotted the same creature in her hometown of Penrith, Australia, not the Penrith at uh, the borders in the UK. Uh, Sue believes she has finally solved the mystery and claims to know exactly what the beast was. The documentary showed the classic 1934 black and white image of Nessie with the mysterious figure looming in the rippled water. Sue saw the distinguishable, the distinguishable, the distinguishable, fucking hell, uh, <laughs> elongated, elongated neck and shorts. Fucking hell, I don't know. They're using hard words in this article. Elongated. Elongated neck and short snout of the beast and instantly recognised it to be a shadow puppet shape her father used to make. Now, the thing is, that 1934 footage was exposed as being a hoax about, yeah. a, about a week after it came out. So, because um, somebody just like put a little model and put the camera close to it. Um, the 60-year-old is now certain that the Loch Ness Monster is an elaborate hoax. She even recreated the image herself. And while there was some resemblance, not a lot of people believe her theory. Sue explained, The Loch Ness Monster has been around for years, and when I was watching the show, I just knew what it was instantly. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. When you're a kid, and your parents put their hands together to make a bird or a dog on the wall, or whatever, like a shadow puppet, it's similar to that. I think the Loch Ness Monster is a bloke lying under the water with his arms sticking out. <laughs> and there's a picture here. So she's got she's got the pic, the, the famous black and white picture on her TV. Uh, and then she sort of stuck her hand up as if she's like manipulating a Muppet um, to show that it's the same. Um, I'll put the picture on her Instagram and the listeners can be the judge. Uh, my dad used to do that sort of thing on the wall, Sue continues, and I knew what it was. It's just a dark photo of a man's arm. You can see a bit of the body. That'll just be the bloke with his body under the water. How can that not be it? I took the same photo right in front of the TV when I was watching the show. I saw it and I said, that's a Loch Ness Monster. Being as it's a man, it's his arm. He's under the water and his arm's longer. That's his forearm and his hand like that twisted to the side. Sue recreated the image using her arm and uploaded her theory online, but many people don't agree with her thoughts. Another alleged sighting of Nessie last August turned out to be an escaped alpaca going for a swim. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. When a long-necked creature was seen in the waters, people leapt to conclusions and assumed it was the infamous beast. This comes after Boffins revealed a new bombshell Nessie theory which suggested that the beast may actually have been a freshwater dinosaur. Fossils of small uh, plesiosaurs, fucking hell, which were long-necked reptile creatures from the dinosaur's age have now been discovered in a hundred million year old river system that is now Morocco's Sahara Desert. Dr. Nick Longrich, who produced 
Some of the new study at the University of Bath revealed plesiosaurs would have been able to live at Loch Ness. However, he added that the fossils suggest an asteroid killed the last plesiosaurs 66 million years ago, so maybe the theory doesn't work. Scientists studied the fossils, which included neck, backbones and teeth from 12-foot-long adults and an arm from a 5-foot baby. A what? And an arm from a 5-foot baby? I thought they had flippers. Uh, they believe the creature routinely lived and ate in freshwater among frogs, turtles, crocodiles and the enormous aquatic dinosaur Spinosaurus or Spinosaurus. So that's a story. So Sue, I'm sure, not we're not making many friends in Scotland um, because even though I think we all know that it's not real, we just we we, we like to kid ourselves on, <laughs> don't we? So what what have we got on that list? Sorry. So it's it's either uh, a whale, a whale, uh, um, an alligator, an alligator, yeah. uh, a, man's a baby's arm, <laughs> a man's arm, a man's arm, or or the the obvious one, the Loch Ness monster. Exactly. Yeah. Is that the, the obvious <laughs> one? Yeah. Okay. I okay. So yeah, it, obviously it's not a whale or an alligator or any other sea creature. No. It it must be the Loch Ness monster. Has to be. Oh, the Loch Ness has monster on his holidays or her holidays in uh, in North Carolina. Are we sure it wasn't Lord Lucan riding <laughs> Shergar? Or something, because yeah. um, that's just about as plausible <laughs> as it being Loch Ness monster. Why would Nessie ever leave Loch Ness? It's her home. Oh. It's where she is. There's no way she would ever leave. The crucial, th- the the reason that this one of the well, it's not the most obvious thing that's wrong with the story, but. <laughs> If there's such a thing as a Loch Ness monster, and let's say for the sake of the article that there definitely is, right? It lives in Loch Ness, which is a loch or lake, if you don't come from Scotland, yep. right? Fresh water, mm-hmm. unsalted water. To get to North Carolina, it would have to swim through the sea. Now, I'm no zoologist. <laughs> You'll be shocked to hear. But I'm pretty sure that creatures that come from a freshwater environment can't survive in a seawater environment. So I'm pretty sure it's not Nessie in his holidays or her holidays. Yeah, but we don't know. I mean, how do we know that Nessie can't teleport or (laughs) fly? We've never never seen. Or or, Um, or catch the bus. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) catch the bus. (laughs) I do like... I did, I did like the um, I did like the alpaca in the walk. Yeah. Oh, of course, I forgot. About the <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We don't know that Nessie didn't get the bus to Yoker and have a, a day there, and then decide to go to North Carolina. On the bus to Yoker, um, she she met, heard she met the, Amer- the sh- shaggy song yeah. "Oh Carolina" oh, sh- and decided to go to she, North Carolina. She met an American tourist. They invited her over. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. As they do. Yeah. Come back and tell the family Ness all about her <laughs> travels in North Carolina. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, come on. How's this the obvious answer? It's Nessie. Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know. People have fertile imaginations. It's like oh, you know what? I, I don't have any other explanation, though. So I'm I'm taking the piss out of them, but I I don't have an answer. So other than it was probably a whale or. Yeah. A dolphin riding a whale or something, <laughs> yeah. or a dolphin eating a whale, and the dolphin was in its mouth, and they saw this weird flappy thing, and yeah. the, the ridges they thought they saw was actually the dolphin fighting for its life. Maybe, yeah, it could be any of those things. Uh, or it was an alpaca riding a whale. I don't know. But the thing is, right? See, I mean, I've been to I've been to Loch Ness, like I've, uh, and it's it's beautiful around there. It's beautiful, mm. and yeah. the thing, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, as as it's. As has come up in the in swally quite a few times before, I'm quite cynical about all those types of things. But 
because we're doing that we're doing like a sponsored walk and we're walking along the walk and i was looking out to the water thinking imagine if i saw the Loch Ness monster <laughs> and the thing is right if i had seen an alpaca going for a swim for like even if it was just for a moment or two until i realized what the alpaca was that it was actually an alpaca i'd have been convinced it was a Loch Ness monster as well oh yes yeah yeah i, yeah, I agree with you actually i would have been too yeah if I'd seen something in the water that I didn't know what it was, I'd be like, I've seen the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Indeed. So anyway, that was my first story this week. What's your first story in this episode? Well, my first story, and it's, I don't want to say it's not a great story, but it, it is a good story. However, it's it's just one particular line in this story that I want to to chat to you about okay. and uh, chat about our memories. So it's um, it, this is from the Scottish Sun this week, and the headline is "The Wrong Trousers." So a Scots pub has hit back at a French tourist who left a scathing one-star review on TripAdvisor after being dress coded for wearing inappropriate trousers. <laughs> the unhappy visitor took to the page to complain that they had been turned away from the George the Fourth Bar in Edinburgh for wearing trousers that went against the dress code. The disgruntled customer, who went by Joe on the site, explained that she and her husband had looked forward to trying the delicious food at the pub last month after hearing good reviews about the place. But her husband arrived wearing black Kappa tracksuit bottoms. The couple were turned away at the door. The diner said how they were left disappointed after not getting let in, and they said that they should have been told about the clothing policy when they spoke on the phone earlier that day. She wrote on the travel company website, My husband and I from France, oh, sorry, uh, my husband and I are from France, and uh, for the first night in Edinburgh, we really wanted a nice pub where we could go and eat and listen to music at the same time. I, I'm going to stop doing that, actually, just in case. Um, uh, the, the pub was very well noted, and um, it looked delicious from the outside, so we decided to try and get in. My husband was refused at entry by a security guard that deemed his trousers inappropriate for the restaurant. Yes, these are thin sport pants, but we are tourists. We're not supposed to know about the clothing policies, especially for a pub that is supposed to be popular. And most of my husband's outfit was overall very correct. <laughs> I want to add that I did try to call the pub earlier in the evening, but I didn't manage to get anyone. Too bad. Maybe someone would have told us about their clothing policy. We're very disappointed, and I don't recommend. We're currently eating a pub that doesn't have live music. Too bad for us. <laughs> but at least we were welcomed, and we're eating well. <laughs> uh, bosses at George the Fourth Bar have hit back at the customer complaints, um, and they have left a, a reply on um, TripAdvisor. <laughs> and they have said, um, we have a policy of no tracksuits or jobby catchers in the bar <laughs> in the evenings. <laughs> <laughs> Jobby catchers. <laughs> Most bars in Edinburgh have the same policy. We work hard to cater for our clientele. That's the end of the article. So, um, can you tell the reason I wanted to, to yeah. use that article? <laughs> they just they use the term "jobby catcher." <laughs> <laughs> um, I have not heard that term in years. <laughs> Jobby catchers. <laughs> so, <laughs> have you ever worn inappropriate clothing <laughs> to a pub? I mean, where where does the term "jobby catcher" even come from? I we need to explain that maybe to our overseas listeners. <laughs> like, I'm not even sure. <laughs> um, I'm not 100 sure. I mean, if I was, if I was. 
if I was going to speculate, I'd say that, um, you know, like perhaps people who wear those types of tracky bottoms habitually tend to, the reason they're not allowed in the pub is they get a bit smashed, they get a bit over, they get a bit carried away and they sometimes shite themselves. <laughs> I mean, but would you go like, okay, they're French, but then I, I wouldn't imagine going to a pub in France on a Saturday evening and getting in with Kappa tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> Kappa jobby catchers <laughs> swinging by the tobacco in your jobby catchers <laughs> for a for a half pint and a brown cigarette. <laughs> I mean, fair play to the pub for um, obviously upholding their, their their dress code. I just love the reply, TripAdvisor. It's so nice. We just we have a policy of no tracksuits, jobby catchers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, have you ever worn um, inappropriate um, clothing to a, a pub or I anything? I, I haven't. I mean, like you and I and our mutual friend are always sort of reasonably uh, sartorial when we're going out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if we're going out through the week, you know, we would tend to like, you know, put our best gear on. It led me to think though, and, and that's one of the reasons I, I, I want to cover the story, um, because I remember, obviously, when I was 16, 17, and I was going into to town, and I would get into pubs and nightclubs, but I was always wearing, like, dress shoes, trousers, and a shirt. Yeah. And I, I think Aberdeen was, was quite bad for it for a while, but they did relax the laws after a while that, okay, you could get in with jeans on, yeah. as long as they were nice jeans. And then later on, like, you could get in with trainers on, mm-hmm. as long as they were smart trainers. And then towards the end, it was just uh, fucking anything. You could go in with, you know, cons, ripped jeans yeah, yeah. and, you know, a t-shirt. Um, but back in the day when we originally started going out, you, you had to, like on a Saturday night, yeah, especially, definitely. you had to wear shoes, trousers and a collar, effectively, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. You could, you could wear a shirt or you you make it with a polo shirt if it was like a smart one. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, definitely. Yeah, you had to have a collar. Yeah, you couldn't go in with like a jumper on. And then obviously they relax things. But yeah, I remember going to Amadeus with um, like pinstripe trousers and <laughs> yeah. like a Burberry shirt and like shoes with fucking buckles on the front just to, yeah, you know, yeah. looking cool um, when I was only 17. But yeah. Well, I remember the night, the, the night out that we had in Norwich um, when we went down for your birthday on the Saturday night. Like all three of us, like, we'd been out in the day just casually in the pubs having some beers. But we went out that went back in the years and got changed out that night. And it was like trousers, shirts. You know what I mean? Jackets, shoes. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, because it was. Yeah, we will wear shirts and trousers mm-hmm. and shoes. Yeah, because that would have been, what, 2000... 2001, I think, wasn't it? One, yeah. 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 2001. So, yeah, that would have been, um, okay. yeah, very much kind of still in that time. Almost, it was Saturday <laughs> night, so yeah. <laughs> Almost 22 years ago. Fucking hell. Jesus. Yeah. <sighs> but you know, but what, 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 your, what the story reminded me a bit of, um, I need to be careful here so I don't want to embarrass anybody, but... I used to, sorry, I love using the bleep button, Greg, so I can bleep <laughs> it out. I used to I used to work in a restaurant uh in Glasgow, which wasn't miles away from Ibrox. And the manager, who is a dear friend of mine, <laughs> um <laughs> When him and I, him and I started working here at the same time, we kind of took it over at the same time, and he wouldn't let anybody in with any football tops on, right? Which fair enough. Okay. Like, fair enough. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, any day of the week, right? Yeah. Which is fine, right? And it, but it did lead to a couple of uncomfortable exchanges. Mm. But it wasn't so bad that he wouldn't allow adults to come in wearing football tops or any sort of club affiliate. He wouldn't let kids either. So sometimes, like. <laughs> 
like a family would turn up and the little kids might be wearing like a Celtic top or a Rangers top and you might be like four or five years old but yeah and you you, you remember what it was like to be that age and have a football top yeah, right of course wanted to wear yeah. it all the time and you felt fucking yeah. great in it he wouldn't let them in and if I let them in because <laughs> if I would <laughs> if, if, if I was there on my own I would say listen look we're not supposed to let anybody in with football tops on so then he decided that he was going to buy a load of just neutral coloured polo tops that we had to ask people to put over their kids' football tops when they came in. I mean, it was okay. fucking excruciating. Every time, if I'd be in the door and I would see a family come in through the foot and I would spot like a little club crest and my heart would just sink every time. And especially if I, especially if he was on as well because I would sometimes sit them down and he'd come up to me and be like, what the fuck? What the fucking, they fucking sat them in? They fucking kids with a fucking ranger top fucking everything. Oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you never noticed can, when you were handing the menus to them? I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can kind of see his point in a way in terms of if you have a kid there and then an adult comes in wearing a, his NTL digital Rangers top yeah. and he's like, sorry, no football colours. Oh, well, that Wayne over there has got a fucking well, that's, shirt that on. That was his so contention. Can, that was his exact yeah. contention. So I can see, and he's trying to solve the problem by buying those plain polo shirts yeah. but yeah i can imagine it's fucking embarrassing having to ask oh, um horrible could you uh could you wear this <laughs> yes. polo shirt that three other kids yeah, have worn that, that, um, that we never wash <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yes it does have spaghetti bolognese stains down the front but it's fine yeah i mean the worst thing was was when rangers were at home because we had, we had like a big car park so some, so people would often like park and walk yeah. down paisley roads because like there was less chance of your car getting keyed in the car park than there was down at Govan. There was there was there was no kids hanging about asking for like a fiver to look after <laughs> your car when you were in there. Um, and uh, obviously they would come in for a bite to eat beforehand. You know what I mean? And you would have mm. to. They, and they, they'd be in all their all their Rangers finery, and you'd be like, "Yeah, sorry, no football colours." <laughs> Horrible. Would you have um, let them in if they were wearing like their um, orange march kind of outfit, <laughs> for example? Like it's not a football top, but still, <clears throat> um, um, you know, it never came up. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, funny that. <laughs> okay, yeah, thankfully, well, never came up. I'd like, I'd like to know that. I wonder what the policy is on <laughs> wearing a, a sash. <laughs> yeah, a bowler hat, a sash, <laughs> white gloves. <laughs> Twirling table for two. spaghetti with a baton. Um. Table for six. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you are going to that pub in Edinburgh, don't wear your jobby catchers. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Uh, right. What else have you seen this week, Greg, that uh, has caught your eye? Well, one of the most swally centric stories we've had in quite a long time. It is clothing related, so it does link quite... This link... Quite nicely to the last one. Um, so this comes from the Scottish Sun on the 6th of February uh, of the weeks ago. And the headline reads, Panty Thief. Scott nicked underwear from washing lines to dress up his blow-up sex doll. So uh, <laughs> Scott, who pocketed underwear from washing lines to dress up his blow-up sex doll, has been placed on the sex offenders register. Graham Oric gathered a collection of worn pants bras, swimwear, and other clothing, some belonging to children, 
reports the Courier. It, mm. Yeah, it, it targeted four different addresses near Arbroath Town Centre between June and August last summer. Auric was captured on CCTV nicking three pairs of black Marks and Spencer size 10 pants. <laughs> it's weirdly specific. At a, ground, <laughs> at a ground floor flat in Hill Street on June the 23rd. He then returned on July the 31st and took a bikini and a boy's beachwear. At home in Hayeswell Road on July 19th, Oryx stole two bras and a child's new Zog one-piece swimsuit when he returned on August the 1st. Uh, Oryx then targeted a washing line on East Abbey Street on August the 12th where he pocketed two pairs of size 8, 8 to 9 denim shorts and t-shirt <laughs> and matching red and black women's underwear sets. The next night, fucking hell, in a neighbour's garden, he took a pair of girls' pants, aged six to seven, and a woman's black and pink pyjamas. He also stole an extra small 2021-2022 Arbroath FC home top. (laughs) When police searched his home on September 7th, they found dozens of missing items. Auric, now of Spitalfield Place, I bet he's really pleased that the son have told everybody where he lives now, was arrested by police on an undertaking with a condition that he remain at home between 7pm and 7am. So that's when to hang out your washing, uh, residence of Spitalfield Place, until his court appearance. He admitted breaching this on September the 27th. Solicitor Billy Rennie said, The danger for the members of the public who have suffered from his behaviour is theft of their items. There isn't a danger from his conduct in his own home. The complainers are not suffering from the sexual conduct of the accused. They're suffering the loss of property. There is too much of a break in the link between what he was doing and the sexual gratification he He's subsequently receiving. He was subsequently receiving in his own home. There's nothing deviant or concerning about what he's doing in his own home. Mm, that's up for debate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sheriff Krista Johnson noted the items taken were very targeted in order to be worn. They're not brand new underwear. They're used underwear. It's underwear belonging to women. It's not just underwear in a shop. Do the women not require to be protected? Oryx's period of notification will be announced next month when reports have been prepared. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of take her point, but, you know, he's steering off washing lines so they're clean. <laughs> they, not, not that I'm defending him, of course, but he may as well just have gone shoplifting, surely. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. But then it's easier to steal it off a washing line, isn't it? I'd imagine so, yeah. (laughs) A one-piece Zog uh, kid's swimming costume. (laughs) Well, I I don't know. Is that more alarming or the Arbroath kit? um, (laughs) (laughs) So so he's stealing these items to dress up his sex doll. Yeah. So he's he's dressing him up in um, like 50-year-old women's knickers and... And her broth top. <laughs> her broth top. What's he? What's he doing with the kid's zog swimsuit? Is he using that to wipe up afterwards? Oh, come on. <laughs> it's absorbent. Come on. They're not absorbent. I mean, they're <laughs> crucially non-absorbent. If it was absorbent, the kids would sink to the bottom of the fucking swimming pool. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Well, yeah, it's non-absorbent. So yeah, there you go. It's it's ideal for the purposes of um, he's using it for. <laughs> Well, I've never tried to wipe up a puddle of spunk with a swimming costume, so... I take your word for it. And there we have our clip. <laughs> I was just speaking about how we need to make clips for the show. I've got my clip now. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so glad my mother doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, right. So, he's been stealing knickers and other items of clothing off washing lines yep. around Dundee and uh, Arbroath yep. area. And... Um, 
using them to dress up as sex um, doll. Dress up as sex doll. Do we know the sex doll's name? No, but, it doesn't. Not mentioned. No, but whenever anybody says the word sex doll, I just assume that it's called Raquel. I don't know why. Raquel. Raquel. I think. I think Billy Conley had a routine about a sex doll called Raquel years ago. Maybe that's. Maybe that's why. I think uh, Bianca would be my go-to name for a sex doll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you remember how they're, they're never called any sort of traditional Scottish names like Morag or Agnes. You know? Oh, Heather, you're going to yeah. get that Arbroath top on you tonight. <laughs> These size 10 knickers. Yeah. Gonna... As soon as I finish blowing you up, <laughs> Heather. <laughs> oh dear yeah yeah good point actually yeah you don't think um of uh i, I don't know why i've got into sex stuff babes um so um <laughs> the upshot of it is that he is um he's he's in a bit of bother though he is, is in he a, obviously he's for, for stealing a lot of bother um, <laughs> compounded by the fact that the son has printed his address <laughs> his new address <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he'll get um, a lot of advertising for new sex dolls, or because um, you get the the new kind of the very lifelike ones nowadays, don't you? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've seen like online, not shopping, but just like unbidden <laughs> articles that occasionally appear on social media, like of like sort of very very lifelike um, sex dolls from like Asia, like Japan and places like that. Um, Mm. So um, I'm, you know, I'm sure that's not what Graham was was working with. I'm <laughs> sure he was working with a more a more traditional model. I have the uh, the idea of the the kind of blow up doll from Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. That um, yeah, the the traditional kind of plastic sex doll. Now I wonder if he had meant to order like a scary Halloween decoration. <laughs> <laughs> got a sex doll by accident and <laughs> a bin bag he's like oh, I'll just go with it I'll just, I'll just it. dress it yeah, up yeah. <laughs> I'll just dress it up in this arbroath top that yeah. I've got I mean I, I mean, you know I mean, whether he is a danger to anybody is not for us to litigate because it sounds like it's been litigated already but um, I do feel I do feel a bit sorry for guys that you know that end up having you know that you find out have got sex dolls because they're obviously like they're obviously like desperately fucking lonely kind of get a bird do you know what i mean um well but then maybe they just have a um like an aversion to people yeah, or something maybe. You, you never know yeah. um i can identify with that <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly i fucking hate people <laughs> so <laughs> It's very lucky that I am deeply in love with my wife and, and yeah. like her very much. Otherwise, yeah, I'd, I'd probably like I don't have to talk to anyone, I don't have to do anything. So ugh, it's ideal. Just I'll stick this 1983 Willie Miller Don's top on her and uh, <laughs> off we go. Yeah, so come on, Bianca. It's so one piece. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the culture swally. Scotland's podcast brought to you by people who don't like people. If you like to sponsor us. <laughs> Anyway, that's poor old Graham um, on the sex offenders <laughs> register. <laughs> poor old Graham. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, that was my second story. What's your next story this week? Uh, so this is uh, I'm I'm bang up to date here, Greg. Um, it's my story is kind of 25 years old. But it's <laughs> right. just taking a, a kind of resurrection right now. So this is about how James Cameron, uh, and I'm going to come back to him later on, actually, how his blockbuster film Titanic offended a Scottish family as the blockbuster is set for re-release. So, of course, Titanic is 25 years old this year, so it is being re-released into the cinemas because, you know, God, we need more Celine Dion in our lives. Um, so, of course, the, this film launched the careers of two 
Hollywood A-listers um, and sparked millions of floppy haircuts. And Titanic <laughs> is set to um, <laughs> set to be re-released into the big screen. Despite a, a formulatic plot and a script so wooden, and this is from the Scottish Daily Express, <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> These are the words from the Scottish Daily Express, not my words. Uh, and a script so wooden you could build a lifeboat from it. <laughs> Titanic swept the awards, including 11 Oscars, and a whole generation can now get wrapped up in the story of Rose and Jack um, as they battle Rose's jealous fiancé. That's a bit of a shame. They don't mention Billy Zane in this article. Um, And of course, a giant iceberg. So uh, Titanic might have bagged enough trophies to sink the liner before it even left Southampton, but that was not without its critics. And among them was the family of Scottish First Officer William Murdoch, played by Ewan Stewart, in the movie, uh, in his little bot bot, Murdoch was in charge of the bridge when the Titanic sunk the iceberg. It sunk the iceberg when the Titanic struck the iceberg. The iceberg sunk the Titanic. Jesus. <laughs> he went down with the ship along with more than 1,500 other souls. Like, let's not laugh at this, Greg, because we are speaking about the you know, yeah. 1,500 people. Uh, Murdoch grew up in Dalbeatty, which is now in Dumfries and Galloway, and started working with White Star Line in the 1900s. His reputation for dependency saw him taken as part of the team that would sail the ship to New York. Murdoch tried desperately to avoid hitting the iceberg after it became apparent the Titanic would sink and had launched half its lifeboats before the other side of the ship had even got started. However, the details of Murdoch's death are shrouded in controversy. Some eyewitnesses claim that an officer shot one or two passengers to bring calm before turning the gun on himself. Despite the ship's second officer, Charles Lightroller, saying that he witnessed Murdoch being swept out to sea whilst trying to launch a collapsible lifeboat, rumours persist that Murdoch was the officer who fired the shots. It was later claimed that Wright Lowler could not have seen Murdoch at the time and that he later confided that he had lied, Mm. perhaps to save Murdoch's widow from the truth. Either way, James Cameron plumped for the shooting version in the film, a decision that angered Murdoch's relatives, who still stayed in Dalbeatty. Uh, After the film's release, Murdoch's nephew, Scott Murdoch, accused the filmmakers of tarnishing his uncle's memory. He said, From my own family connections, and also from my father, having spoken to various officers who survived, he did not commit suicide. If someone says to you, somebody in the family committed suicide when they hadn't, you take objection. Uh, Such was the strength of this feeling that the vice president of Fox, Scott Neeson, travelled to Dalbiti to offer a personal apology to the family and donated £5,000 to the local high school. Uh, Cameron also apologises on the DVD commentary. Uh, But he insisted that his portrayal of Murdoch was sympathetic and the officers did fire shots that fateful night in April 1912. And he said, I'm not sure you'll find a sense of responsibility and total (laughs) devotion to duty today. The guy had half lifeboats launched uh, before the counterpart of the port side had even launched one. That says something about his character and heroism. So, uh, yeah, Titanic. We're not going to go into too much debate. I mean, obviously we'll can talk about you and Stuart and his bot bot but um Titanic any memories of that great yeah I remember going to see it at the cinema with um the girl I was going out with at the time obviously I mean it was a big deal when that came out yeah you know it was massive yeah. and I, and it was one I think it was probably I was living in Aberdeen at the time and it was still the virgin cinema yeah the, and that's where I saw it Aber- yeah. Aberdeen's first multiplex uh, down at the beach and we went to see it there and I think it was showing, I mean, I think it had like 10 screens maybe that 
I think it's ten. What's your and it was show- definition of a multiplex, though? More than like two screens. <laughs> yeah, but the, the Odeon up at top of Holborn Street that had like about six screens. Did it? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. I remember, I remember going there, but it was definitely well. Okay, Aberdeen's first modern cinema. You, yeah. You, 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 you accept I'll, that? I'll give you that. Okay. I'll accept that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, I remember like I remember it being on because I used to work at Frankie and Benny's right opposite the cinema, right opposite the cinema, and there was only us in Daytona down there at that time. I don't even think Heroes had even opened at that point. And um, yeah. we uh, we literally just got pumped all day, and like, you could sort of time your seatings by the showings in the in the cinema. So it was just the case of the restaurant filling up and emptying out every sort of hour and fifteen minutes. But yeah, no, I remember I remember going to see it. I remember it's the first thing I'd really seen Kate Winslet in. I was quite surprised when she get when she gets her Winslets out later on. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, for Leonardo DiCaprio, which I think I'd seen Leonardo DiCaprio in a few things before. I'd seen him in like This Boy's Life with Robert De Niro, um, and I think I and I had seen The Basketball Diaries as well at that point. <clears throat> so I was no stranger to DiCaprio's work. But uh, you're a big uh, Romeo and Juliet fan as well, aren't you? Uh, no, I, I, t- I don't really like the film. To be honest, uh, I don't. I wasn't really joking. I don't. I don't really like Baz Luhrmann's. Uh, way of direction, to be honest, it's fucking stupid. A cartoon, incredible soundtrack to that film. Though. Oh, a great soundtrack! Yeah. But um, shit film, a great soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, Paul Rudd's in it. That's what blows me away. Jesus, <laughs> he just does not age. Does he? <laughs> he, looks, like... he looks exactly the same as he does in that yeah. man. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, but I, I remember like it was one of those films where it was a case. Of, I think everybody went to see it, and yeah. it was like it, was, it, was, it wasn't like oh, have you been to see? The Matrix. It was we've been to see Titanic yet. You know what I mean. And like some people went to see it multiple times. Like it's a it's a it's a big deal for my sister because it's the first time she managed to get into a fifteen rated film. I think she would have been maybe thirteen when it came out, and she managed to pass for fifteen. Oh. So she could please herself. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I remember watching it. I think it was the same Virgin um, mm-hmm. down the beach. Um, watched it there. Take, um, and take, I remember take a young lady I, with you. No, I, I can't remember who I went with. I think it was my friends. Right. Um, no, definitely wasn't with a young lady at the time. And I even remember buying it on VHS from Asda um, down at Garth D. Mm. Um, so yeah, I had Titanic on VHS. God knows why. But it was. <laughs> like it was kind of... It was an event, wasn't it? Yeah, you had to go and see it. Yeah. It was just this huge thing. And say it won 11 Oscars. And it, yeah, I mean, it was a, a, a huge film at the time. I mean, I, I wouldn't watch it now. I couldn't have given them worse than... Well, I could think of a lot of things worse. Like watching <laughs> Romeo and Inception Juliet. again or something. Or <laughs> yes. Romeo and Juliet. But um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't fancy watching it again. But I'm sure it, it's, um, it holds up and... It's um it's twenty fifth anniversary. Jesus, that makes us feel very old. So to be honest, I'm if sure it, if, if if it's on the telly and I'll I'll watch I watch you're it. waiting until Kate Winslet gets her <laughs> Winslet out and then you're <laughs> well, gonna switch off, aren't well, you? Well they always cut that bit out when it's on the telly here because this is yeah. an Islamic country. Um <laughs> but you know, they come like oh the boat's just about to sink. I'll, I'll just watch it for a wee while. You know what I mean? Or I'll, I'll, ju- I'll just watch the it. The last 45 minutes, isn't it? Yeah. Like I'll just watch it until the boat splits in half. Or I'll just watch it until you and Stuart uh, shoots the Irish guy <laughs> and then shoots himself. Um, <laughs> I'll turn it off. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Like, mm. I mean, I guess for Cameron, it's a good dramatic device because he, t- he takes a bribe off Billy Zane, doesn't he? And then he, he throws it back at him. Um when he's trying, oh. you know, and he 
when he makes him get away from the uh, he chases him away from the lifeboat doesn't he and all that yeah I don't know it's a hard one it's a hard one to, to um, I suppose but can you do it it was a hundred and Ten years ago, so <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Anyway, so I'm sure they'll get over it. Um, and they got a personal apology, and they got some money donated. So why are they bringing it up now? Exactly. It's just to get publicity. I bet they've got a OnlyFans account or something. <laughs> to promote. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Have you seen anything else this week, Greg? Uh, nope. Not this week. Nope. Okay. Right. Well, before we get on to what we're going to be talking about today, let's have a little word from our sponsors. Now there's an even better choice at Gerard's, where Gerard himself presides over the marvellous cuisine. A new a la carte menu with a choice of over 30 dishes, eight fish dishes alone. A new four-course menu complet plus coffee, only £13.85. Business lunches under £5. And on Saturdays, lunch is served under the fig tree in the unique garden room. Now, more than ever, there's nowhere quite like Gerard's, Aberdeen's favourite restaurant. And if you'd like to sponsor the Culture Swally, like our lovely sponsors there, then you can drop us a line on cultureswally at gmail.com or get in touch with us on our social. So, it was your choice after my uh, my low-budget pick last time, going for something a bit more classic. Why don't you introduce this week's uh, content? Thank you very much, Greg. So we're going back to 1976 today as we visit The Elephant's Graveyard, which was part of the BBC's Play for Today and aired on the 12th of October in 1976. Written by Peter McDougall, who we, of course, have featured on multiple previous episodes of The Swally, and directed by John McKenzie, who have we also have featured on multiple episodes of the Culture Swally. The Elephant's Graveyard stars John Morrison as Bunny and Billy Conley as Jodie, the only two cast members in this production. It tells the story of Bunny, who has told his wife that he is working as a postman, but he is in fact wandering round the hills all day. On this particular day, he meets Jodie, an older man, who has also told his wife that he is working at the IBM factory, but is in fact doing the same as Bunny. The two men spend a day of friendship together in the woods, but what does the future hold? I'll also say we will be spoiling this, so if you haven't seen The Elephant's Graveyard, we will put a link to it because it is on YouTube in the description of this podcast. It's only like 45 minutes long. Go and watch it before we talk about it because we are going to be spoiling it. And do yourself a favour and watch it because genuinely... It really is worth it. So, Greg, Elephant's Graveyard, memories, first time? So, a bit like uh, Just a Boy's Game and Just Another Saturday and and Down Among the Big Boys, uh, in around 2006, the BBC released most of Peter McDougall's plays for today on DVD and I remembered reading about them in the Daily Records. I'd never heard of them because obviously we all came out, with the exception of Down Among the Big Boys, they all, the rest of them all came out before I was I was born, really, or when I was very young, at least. Um, so I hadn't seen them. Um, so I went and bought them all. I bought uh, those four on DVD. Um, so I, the first time I saw this was only about fourteen or f- about fifteen or sixteen years ago, and it was the last one that I watched because I I watched uh, just a boys' game. So I, th- I, th- I actually think I had seen that. It was on the. TV in the kind of mid to late 90s. Um, I think they were doing a bit of a retrospective on the play for today. So I had seen that one, um, but I watched that first because I had memories of it. And then I watched Just Another Saturday. So this was the last one I watched. And Just Another Saturday was the first thing I'd ever, well, the first thing I thought I'd ever seen John Morrison in because I didn't realise that, I didn't recognise him from No By Mouth. 
because he's a lot older by then. So yeah, I mean, and obviously being a, I'd been a fan of Billy Conley's for as long as I could remember. And it's just, it's really just a, it's really Billy Conley really, I think, really stretching himself as an actor at last. Because in the other the other bits and bobs he'd been in were pretty small. Like in, in just on the Saturday, from a, it's like a couple of years earlier. It's not very big, it's not a very long role. He's, he's only got about 10 minutes, you know? So like, yeah. He's only got about uh, 10 or 15 minutes in there. So, um, so yeah, it was, I think for him, you know, it's probably a big step for him in, yeah, so I, th- I think this is you know he's become a he's become quite a celebrated actor, Billy Conley. Although it's I think it's fair to say quite a long road. Like although he was a, I wouldn't say he was an overnight success as an actor. I think it was really when he did Mrs. Brown and Muppets Treasure Island and and those things that he he saw his career got going. But um, I think this is the beginning of him being recognised as a serious actor. Yeah, I, I mean, I first saw this, I think, back in the day, I guess it must have been late night on BBC, like one Friday, Saturday night, they must have, have replayed it. I think you said maybe in the mid-90s mm. they, they've replayed it. So I, I definitely have seen this before. And I think I just kind of remembered it as just, Billy Conley and some other guy in the woods or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I haven't seen it since. And I've watched it three times in the last couple of weeks um, because I just absolutely love this so much. And I, when I was younger, I did a lot of kind of drama theatre stuff from about the ages of like 11 to maybe 17. And we did a lot of kind of Scottish stuff. I, I say I did a lot of drama, like I did higher drama and I was in a theatre club and stuff. And I, I gave it up when I was like 17 and never kind of done anything since. And we, we studied a lot of Scottish stuff. I think it was more like the steamy and mm-hmm. the Chevy at the Stag and the Black Black Oil and uh, Gregory's Girl and stuff. I never came across the Elements Graveyard and I don't know why because this just is such an incredible piece of theatre and it's such an incredible play and we've covered quite a few play for today's on the Swally and I can't think of anything that is more fitting of a play for today than this. Yeah. It's it's incredible. I mean, yes, it looks a little bit dated now but fucking hell, it's 47 years old and... It's the subject matter is so far ahead of its time. And you're speaking about Billy Conley and his acting chops. Jesus Christ, he is wonderful mm. in this. This was like two years after Just a Boys Game. Um, just another Saturday. Just a Boys game? Just Sorry, Saturday. just another Saturday. Yeah. Sorry, just another Saturday. Um, only a couple of years after that. And in that, he is effectively playing himself. Mm. Just kind of the loudmouth kind of... Yeah, banter. Um, yep. Banter comedian. In this, he is just... He's wonderful. And it's not even the acting. It's it's the subtle looks that, that he gives to Bunny. Yeah. Just kind of the... And, and that's what I love about this so much. The, and we'll come on to this later on. But it's the... There's so much acting in this that goes unspoken. It's the... Bunny gives Jodie looks like... I, I kind of know you from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And Jodie gives Bunny looks like... if. If you not worked it out yet, yeah, yeah, like the way they both deliver it, but particularly Connolly is just oh, it's so outstanding. Like he's he's just wonderful in this. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Um, and like to your point, it does feel like it could be, it could, it, they they could this the script could be right at home in like a higher uh, drama syllabus. You know what I mean? That kind of two hander. Oh. It's it's got a sort of we, uh, kind of waiting for Godot kind of vibe about it. You know what I mean? Just sort of two. Yeah. Two uh, prominent actors, they had, uh, sorry, two prominent characters rather, and the sort of 
sort of it's a, a kind of crisis of it's not really a crisis of faith but more a crisis of convention you know like bunny feels that he's supposed to you know he's he, he knows he's supposed to be out working and he just can't really face it he can't really face going out and finding a job he can't really face the kind of routine of it but he's sort of four days into a different type of routine that he's established for himself of just finding things to do it kind of pass the day when he's supposed to be at work and that's it it's a I think it's such a, a sensitive kind of play about what it means to be grown up and the responsibilities that go with it because Bunny feels like he is a grown up he has to go out and get a job but rather than tell his wife that he hasn't got one he just makes one up mm-hmm. and you know what's better a postman yeah, and, yeah you know gets up in the morning early he's home by lunchtime like <laughs> it's yeah. kind of the ideal job in a way yeah, yeah but to make that up and of course jody's in the the same situation telling his wife and, it, and i guess that's what we see at the beginning is his wife effectively dropping him off at the ibm factory mm-hmm. but he's off into the hills and it, as bunny says earlier like it's well it's payday tonight so i don't know what i'm gonna do yeah And they're effectively having this day before they have to go and face up to their responsibilities of, fuck, what am I going to say when I get home? And I haven't got any pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you feel like all the way through it, as much as there's a lot, there's been this a lot of humour, it's it's often very, very, very funny. But that that sort of empathy that you have for Bunny, I think in particular, is never too far away because as much as, you know, as much as you're enjoying spending the time with them when they're having a drink and they're having their wine and everything and they're trying to outdo each other with various stunts and climbing hills and everything, you know that he can't, he can't maintain this forever. You know what I mean? Because he answers to somebody, he answers to his wife. Um, so he's, you know, like he can't go much longer without either owning up or finding a job and hoping they can kind of they can sort of kind of paper over it a bit. But that feeling that he's going home with no money in his pocket when she's at home expecting him to come home with his wages. I don't know about you, but like all the way through it, that was never as soon as that was established in the script, it was never too far from my mind. And then the effect it had on me when Jody says toward the end, right, we better get moving. I'm like, fucking hell, just stay in, just stay in the hills because you're going to yeah. get, how, how can you go home and look your wife in the eye? And what are you going to tell her when she's expecting you to bring the money home? You know what this reminded me of? And the whole kind of play is, it's, it's two boys playing in the woods mm. on a day off. Yeah. Yeah. On a Sunday. They're playing yeah. in the woods on the Sunday. And as the, the play goes on, you kind of feel the that Sunday afternoon cov creeping into evening dread coming upon yeah, you yeah. of I've got oh fuck, I've got school tomorrow. Yeah. Like kind of the week- that that dread. The weekend's almost over. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what it kind of really felt like to me and I think it was it was captured so beautifully yeah. in this. It was two boys playing in the woods, bunking off and then, oh shit, we've got to kind of face up to, we've got school tomorrow. Yeah. And it's exactly as you said, you do feel that in terms of Bunny, you are kind of fearful of him, like shit, he's got to go home with his wife, what's he going to say to her? Yeah. And and as you get into the, the story and you find out that effectively he wasn't seen her for long, got her pregnant and then got married, but he's he's happy. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, there's, there's something underlying there yeah. that he's not giving away. Well, he sort of alludes to it about midway through when after Jody's told him how he um he used to he used to be at sea and mm. you know he, he says that he that he would go to sea and he, and he, he would never come back. So that you do get as as much as he sort of 
sticks to his convictions when they're talking about getting married and he said no I, I wanted to get married you know what I mean I wanted to get married you know it's my choice to do that you do get the feeling well is it a bit of bravado you really mm. really what he wants to do is get is get out of it get out of the get out of his community get out of his situation go to sea you know but there's always there's all there's a, there's a sort of hopelessness there underlying when he's saying it because you know that he never will. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, or you know that he rather you know that he knows that he never will. That it's just talk. You know. I think I mean we need to talk. I think uh, about Bunny and, and John Morrison's performance. But, but before we we do that, we'll we'll finish kind of speaking up about Billy Conley as mm. Judy and very much a, a wonderful wise old philosopher yeah and he has got something on some of the lines are just incredible you know when bunny says a postman and he's like oh are you up here delivering correspondence yeah yeah. and he's just a a wise man you know in terms of he says if you know if you tell lies you should do it expecting to get captured yeah yeah. and it's not expecting to get caught expecting to get captured yeah yeah that's a there's a lot of depth in that you're married all right your wife think you're at work? Funny enough, she does, huh? That's why I'm all wet. Saw you coming and panic in case you were somebody in you. Might tell her wife of me. Oh, she finds out I get a strap. Bunny, son, prepare yourself to be found out. How come? I don't know you, dear. No, no. But if you tell lies, you should do expecting to get caught. Sooner or later, you always get captured. Well, I met you. Crash, you're a great comfort. My, my favourite line that he says, you know, when the, when they come out of the bothy, when the rain's gone off, and he says that he says the the wet it seeps into your bones like guilt, and it's mm. you know like it's such a it's such a it's true not about the weather as such, but more about how guilt sort of rests on your conscience. It does feel like it's it's you know it's it sort of assimilates and becomes part of your body if you're carrying around something that you feel bad about for a long time yeah i think um my possible favorite is very similar it's when they're speaking about nostalgia and yeah. he says you're, you're never far from your mammy's smell yep and it's oh, just such a i'll be i'll be surprised it's peter mcdougall yeah, just exactly. but the 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 language and the way it's just incredible the way it's just written and and just as i say conley is just the way he delivers it yeah he, he's so good at this and there's one particular piece of acting which i'll come back to later when we kind of talk about the ending mm. um there's there's one piece like kind of foreshadowing that that i just think he is just absolutely masterful at but to talk about uh bunny mm. and john morrison I, I again kind of the only the first thing i'd really seen him in was of course just not a saturday yeah and seeing him in this he's again it's like a, what, a year later and i think he was 20 when this was filmed and he's you know he really has grown he was great in just under saturday but in here just because he's got conley to kind of play off yeah he maybe isn't as accomplished as conley i'll say but conley was 33 yeah, yeah. so you know it had been around a while and he's a performer you can tell that morrison's maybe a little bit not wooden but there's a couple of lines he delivers that maybe you know a little bit static but he's still great in this. Yeah, I think, you know, he... I don't know if it's him as such, or the, the script sort of gives him a bit of wisdom to impart mm. as well. And it's like, well, you know, it's, a, it's maybe a little harder for him to sell it. I think, you know, what I think with 
uh, Con- with uh, Connolly is this is you know from reading when you when you read or you listen to him talk about working in the shipyards. And he, he knew a lot of these old veteran guys, like tradesmen who worked in there that were union guys and whatnot, and they, they'd worked in the yards their whole life. And I wonder if he maybe, if Connolly maybe sort of based his performance a wee bit on, on guys like that who very experienced guys, but still have a sort of twinkle in their eye and are, you know, always, probably always, not most of them probably always willing to take these young guys under their wing and try and steer them right, which is kind of what Jody's doing through the play. Whereas for Morrison, you know, he's he's supposed to be playing this sort of young, not long out of school young guy. And it's 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 it is kind of similar to his character in um Just Another Saturday. Because just another Saturday, the whole play is just different characters trying to advise him in one way or mm. another. You know what I mean? Either for good or ill. Whereas in this one it's it's just Connery. It's just uh, sorry, not Connery. Connolly. <laughs> Um, so, you know, but I th- he sort of plays it well and you, you kind of get the feeling that they're, they're these guys off screen probably knew each other pretty well and are probably part mm. of a larger group because as much as he, you, know, you never feel like um, that, that Morrison's intimidated at all. You know what I no. mean? You never get that feeling. You feel that he's very, very comfortable acting opposite uh, Connolly and, and they both, you, you get that feeling that they're both Although it is quite, it is although it, there's a lot of fun and humour and stuff in it. It's it's quite a heavy story. It's quite a serious. There's a lot of serious messages in the story, but you know they they don't feel that they they either of them, especially Morrison, gets bogged down with it. You know, I think it's it's very well cut up in terms of there is a lot of fun and japes in terms of their skipping stones over the river and climbing trees and climbing up kind of ravines, but. I can only presume that's a metaphor for the actual real story. And there is a lot of fun to be had there. Yeah. But I agree. It is a very heavy message, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of the, the whole thing. And it, it really is. It's, it's very deep and, and very heavy. But it's just so wonderfully crafted in terms of this kind of humorous, like the, the 45 minutes just fly by. And oh, it does. Absolutely flies by. For it to be a two-hander, just the two of them, just... It's just incredible the way they just bounce off each other and just feel so natural. Mm. And for them to have just met that day, although I guess we will come to that very shortly, I think, uh, that we're going to have to split this wide open very soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for them, it, it's just wonderful. And yeah, it just it just absolutely flies by the time. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I guess the, the sort of overlying metaphor is Bonnie isn't ready to become an adult entirely you know what i mean mm. he's you know the, to your point he's only you know I'm, I'm not sure how old he's meant to be the character's meant to be but we know morrison was young so if the, the character's meant to be sort of maybe 18 19 years old and uh you know he knows that at some point he's going to have to be a man and get a job and bring home the bacon and raise children and all the things that were probably expected of men of his class and generation. But he's just, you know, he's not quite ready to do it. You get neither chance nor choice. You leave school and straight to work without even thinking about it. Then you get married without even knowing about it. Then spend the rest of your days using both as an excuse for never having done anything with your life. Speak for yourself. I am. And look at me, all grown up and here I am. Hold up in the hills, fear to let on to my wife that I don't know what to do with myself. I'm fear to let on I can't get a job. Listen, cousin, 
You can shoot shit to anybody you like, but not to yourself. There's work to be had if you have an eye for it. Okay, so if you've got up to this point and you haven't watched The Elephant's Graveyard yet, please go and watch it because I'm about to split this wide open. Okay, so Jodie is Bunny from the future. Yeah, basically. Well, that's yeah. th- that's what I took from it, yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's so many things that are... Of course it is. Um, yeah. In terms of the, you know, they, they both have the same mother's pride bag with their sandwiches and yeah. they both have the, when Jody is, um, sorry, Bunny's saying that, you know, he got his wife pregnant and got married and Bunny's like, yeah, the same thing happened to me. Yeah. The most telling part for me is, and this is Conley's best acting work I've ever seen, is when Bunny is explaining how his father died mm. and the look on Conley's face, I've never, mm. almost never seen better acting mm. than that. Just the, the look he gives, you just know instantly, yeah. ah, fuck, he, he was there. That's He's remembering that. Yeah, yeah. And I think the most telling part as well is, of course, when um, Bunny says that he wants to go to sea and Jodie says, yeah, I was at sea. I wasn't much older than you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it, of course, he's, yeah, he's Bunny from... Uh, not the future like yeah. well do you know what i mean it's a yeah yeah he's he's kind of come back to visit him that's yeah it's the obvious yeah no doubt for sure and then like and the, the the thing is the first time you watch it I, because you're if you're not they like, we we mentioned this before we're actually in the last episode because the last thing we watched had a had a, had a twist although mm. you know they get they sort of let out the bag a wee bit early in the film but for this one the the, the twist as i suppose it is is right in the in the very last moments of right right literally right before the credits roll if you haven't the, the first time you watch it or the first time i watch it certainly i had no idea it was coming because i because I, I didn't i didn't notice things like the fact that they're eating their sandwiches out the exact same mother's pride bread bag and mm. you know what I mean and the way they roll their cigarettes and you know they, they both do that wee thing where they kind of wiggle the fag in their mouth before they light it and stuff yeah. and so it's a proper it's you know it's a proper like but it's sort of affirming you know what I mean because you kind of feel that has Jodie come back to visit Bunny to sort of put him on a different path maybe a better path you know what I mean or just kind of help him get his act together or whatever so you're kind of like ah you know it's like um, Michael J. Fox in Back to the future too going back to <laughs> sort out his kid um it's it's funny you you, think, you said you that jody had a delorean part just over the hill <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny you said that because i have written in my notes huge twist at the end and i i didn't remember the twist like as, as i say i'd seen it year, like 20 odd probably more years ago and Exactly as I said to you, I just remembered it was like Billy Conley and a guy mm. in the woods. That was all. I'd forgotten about the twist. And I've written in my notes, huge twist at the end, but so understated, deliciously delivered. Yeah. Not like Lord of Tears. <laughs> <laughs> but the um the the power and the energy was just enough. Like it it, it just it what I love about this is it doesn't beat the audience over the head. Yeah. It's like we've left you enough breadcrumbs. If you can't work this out yourself, yeah. you don't deserve to be watching this. <laughs> it, you know what I mean though? It's so well, it's subtly and beautifully done. It demands the, that you watch it again. Oh, it's doesn't just, it? oh yeah. And then as I say, I've watched this three times mm. over the last couple of weeks and Every time I have got more and more out of it because I'm noticing things. Like I, yeah. I did notice the mother's pride bags first straight away, like the first time. But little things like the, as I've just said, you know, when when um, Bunny's speaking about his dad dying and Jody's look to him. 
that yeah. I, I didn't pick that up the first time, but second time watching it and I noticed it, I was like, Jesus Christ, that is just yeah. fucking incredible. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, it, it's something that needs to be watched again once you've yeah. worked out the the twist. Absolutely, so to speak. it's like you know, like I think probably you could probably compare it to something like Fight Club because they the first time I saw Fight Club, mm. I had no idea what about the twist at the end. You know what I mean? So then yeah. when you when you go back and watch it a second or third time, you're on the lookout for the little tells that. Um, mm. Although Fincher does sort of show you a load of them when um, Edward Norton's character comes to the realization, you know, like there's a lot of mm-hmm. like different versions of the scenes yeah. of him punching himself in the face and stuff. But they, you, what you said, which I thought was quite was was important, was that you know this was a different time where I think audiences there wasn't as much choice, and I think audiences were trusted more to you know like I mean if you if you made this now and that was the only way that they that they did the little twist at the end, and they did it exactly the same way. I think people would be upset about it. You know what I mean? Because the suggestions and the hints that they're the same person are so subtle that you only really notice when you go back and watch it again. You know what I mean? Um, and like I, I think modern audiences would feel a little bit cheated because it's not overt enough that they're the same person, whereas. I think for the audience, the contemporary audience that would have watched this when it came out, there's, there wasn't as much choice of things to watch. Do you know what I mean? Like three channels on the TV or the radio or a book. You know what I mean? And I think people's attention, people like paid attention to things a lot more than they maybe do now. So there's no like smartphone to distract them or whatever. And they crucially, the director, and I suppose, well, I mean, I don't know, would it be a directorial choice or a, or would it be uh, Peter McDougall's choices? Or maybe they came up with it together that, you know, we're not going to be... Because the thing is as well, when this came out, no guarantee that anybody would ever see it again after it was on the first time. There might be a repeat mm. or something later on, but it's, it's, it's a one-off 45-minute sort of short film you know, if you like. It's not even as long as an episode of, like, Taggart or Shetland or something like that. Mm. And um, there's no guarantee that anybody would see it again. But yet, they've... One of them, or together, they've decided, you know, we'll just put that... We'll just have it at the end and it'll be a soft, sort of gentle reveal in the the sort of last minute of the show. Then the credits will roll and we'll we'll follow Bunny back down the hill, back to his house. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you just... I don't think you... I don't think filmmakers would do that, would do that anymore. so funny you've said that Greg because I've literally got written in my notes as a question to ask you do you think it would be less effective if this was made today because it's so small scale modest and subtle yeah and nowadays people need to be hit over the head with a brick to understand things I agree whereas this was just so beautifully done and I, I genuinely can't describe how incredible this play was in terms of just the subtlety mm. and that twist at the end and it it's not like a oh he was a ghosty yeah it, it's just he just vanishes it's not there, yeah you're just and but even um bunny's reaction just like oh okay and walks back down the hill like it, it's not a huge like oh <gasps> Oh, God, he was a ghost all along. Sorry if you haven't seen The Sixth Sense. But it's, 
do you know what I mean? It, it's so subtly done. That it's yeah. just so beautiful. And genuinely, I, I, I'm so pleased you said that because it's exactly what I've had in my notes in terms of would it be less effective? Well, um, I, I wonder if that's maybe why... Well, well I was, maybe there has been adaptations for the stage, maybe or whatever, but mm. I'm not sure how you would how you would do the twist on stage. You know what I mean? I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how you. You know, you you may have to have some kind of stage True. effect that just the way. But then it would be abrupt and blunt that Jody just disappears. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know how you would do it. Have him fall through a trap door or something or a screen. <laughs> oh, I don't know how you do it. But um, but you know, like it, it's sort of. Up until that point, it's kind of perfect stage material. Two actors, two characters playing off each other and going mm. through things together and having deep conversations and heavy conversations, you know? It's it's a perfect play. And it, as you say, you know, that's what I said to you, is it, it's the embodiment of a play for today mm. and it is a perfect play and i think this was hugely hyped at the time it, in um october 1976 this was on the front cover of the radio times right so they were hugely promoting it and they had uh, an interview with peter mcdougall in the radio times right before it aired and he said um yeah something like that happened to me i went up into the hills with this guy and we drank cheap wine Mm-hmm. And we really opened up to each other like nobody I've ever known. It was a fantastic experience to feel that close to someone. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of genuinely happened. Yeah. And yeah. for this to be such a, a touching and beautiful play, it actually happened. I mean, he didn't see his future self, if you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Yeah, but yeah. He, he, he spent a day in the woods with this guy drinking wine and probably smoking roll-ups and yeah mucking around and just having a great day and and they shared and that's i think the you know again it's a this is something that should be shown today about men's mental health as well because Mm. jody is such a philosopher but he he shares some amazing snippets he he does say like there is a line towards the end when he says like it all opens up when we start to share yeah and at the end when he says to bunny like a bond happened today between us Mm mm-hmm it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's about yeah. male friendship, but also about mental health mm-hmm. as well. And I I genuinely think, oh, BBC, please repeat this soon. Like, it is something that really needs to be seen. Yeah, no, you that's a really good point, because there's been a lot of stuff in the press over the last few years about, about male suicide in particular. You know, and it tends to be guys that aren't very old, like sort of in that sort of 20 to 40 age bracket. So yeah, I mean, it's incredibly ahead of its time from that perspective. Yeah. And and I don't know that anybody, unless there's been stuff on that's maybe passed me by, but I don't know if anybody has really tackled the modern kind of male mental health issue in drama in this sort of forum. I mean, mm. maybe they have, maybe I'm sure, I'm sure they've done it on the soaps, but they could, <laughs> but I mean, like a, you know what I mean? Like something that, it, that, that is built around uh, like, a, like a man's sort of internal struggle and the thing is as well, like, you know, in the, in the 70s and when this was made, I am, you know, you, you you sort of assume looking back in those days of that it's like it's a man's, a, a, he's a man's man, a man's a man. Do you know what I mean? A I mean, man's like, man. Yeah. Yeah. This is still, you know, like John Wayne was still alive when this came out. You know, I think, I think, it, I think True Grit, his last film came out when about the same, oh no, not, that wasn't his last film. I think The Shootist was his last film, the one with uh, Richie Cunningham from Happy Days in it. But you know what I mean? So there was still, you know, the end, a lot of people 
had come were had had come out of the war as well. That the war was only sort of thirty years earlier, and it was still you know. So they that's that sort of bond that these two form in the woods, like to your point, and what what Jody says, it sort of goes against what this got a prevailing male cut co- what you I would assume the prevailing male culture was at the time. And I said I remember that when I was a kid as well, you know, like my grandparents, even my father's generation. You know what I mean? It was just go on with it. Just just push it right down. Screw it right yeah. down. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they're they're hiding in the woods. Yeah. Because they're scared to tell their wives that they don't have a job. They're ashamed to admit that, but also they're obviously terrified of their wives. Yeah. And I know we've got all the big, you know, kind of Marbrun stereotype with yeah, it, you yeah. know, big pull-ups. Yeah, but yeah, yeah it's, it, it really does strike me as the, the kind of modern man. If I'm scared to yeah. admit that I, I don't have a job. So, and she's making me these sandwiches and I'm still taking them and eating them, but yeah, yeah. I can't admit that. And, and the, the men of this generation didn't live as long comparatively as, well, mm. not, you know, they obviously like some do, but sort of generally speaking, I remember in Billy Conley's uh, book when his put his autobiography out a year or two ago, and he talks about these older guys that he met in the shipyard. And the thing is, like, they would retire and they would be dead within sort of five years because mm. the you know because work had been their whole life. You know what I mean? For the, for you know they probably they start working in the yards at fourteen or fifteen, retire at sixty or sixty five, whatever the retirement age was back then, and. You know, a few years later, they check out. You know what I mean? There's so many beautiful speeches and things in this, but is there anything better than um, uh, Billy Conley's speech about standing on the other side of the street and looking at his door Mm. that he'd painted? And yeah, not recognizing just thinking does. didn't recognize it because yeah. I've never seen it from this side of the street and like it's that's just a beautiful kind of metaphor for just looking at things from a different perspective and seeing things in a different way I'll tell you buddy I've been living in the same house this so 12 year past and the other day I saw it for the other side of the street for the first time you know something? I didn't recognise it. My own house. Oh, oh I recognised the door, because I sort of painted it and that. And I knew the windies and the curtains. But I'd never seen it from that side of the street before. Yeah, it's it. incredibly profound, you know, and again, yeah. it's, I think Peter McDougall, he just, he just had a really fundamental understanding of his kind of generation, his environment, his community, and the people who who the, who who lived in it. And, you know, I think he's obviously very self-aware. You know, he, he he's a guy who started off as a tradesman, a bit like Connolly, and decided to go into the arts, you know, mm. c- coming from a, you know, coming from a, a community, an environment where people generally didn't do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They, you know, because yeah. the, the expectation was, you know, if you, you leave school, get a trade, Go to work, get married, have kids. Do you know what I mean? That was that was yeah. the expectation, and you, him and Connolly are similar in the sense that they decided to do something different. You know, they decided to, to sort of go yeah. against the tide and do something else. And you know, Billy Connolly's very, very self-aware. And you know, and he talks about. I was this. I, I re, funnily enough, I re-listened to his uh, Adam Buxton interviewed him for his podcast a couple of years ago, 
Billy Conley. Mm. And obviously he's, you know, he's struggling with Parkinson's and stuff. So, but still, you know, the the kind of spark is still there. But he talks about really enjoying poetry, like getting into poetry because he, he had that kind of Saturday mm. job in a bookshop in Glasgow where he swept the floor and he would hide in the kind of poetry section, like reading like Burns and stuff like that. But he couldn't go and tell his mates that he knocked about with or the guys, or the, you know, that he was, oh, just, re- have you ever heard of Robert Burns? You know what I mean? Ever heard of, you know, really, re- I read this cracking poem today, you know, you know, because it just, it's kind of generationally and, and environmentally, it just wasn't what those types of guys did. You know, you they, yeah. they having any sort of intellectual leaning would, prob- would result in a merciless fucking kind of piss taking. Well, to um, take into our generation, it'd be like me, kind of saying oh, you know what i really like all saints you know mm. all saints are really good like I, you know what well, the, really the like band the or the clothes shop <laughs> no i meant the the band you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. but the time but you know we were early kind of 2000s like you know what uh you know what under the bridge i think it's a it's almost better than the chili peppers version <laughs> like fuck it out do you know what i mean though yeah, but yeah. It's, that, it's exactly what you were kind of saying yeah, yeah. um yeah for yeah sure. it, it's a very profound point in terms of yeah it is against about the the kind of masculinity of the day mm-hmm. and almost being ashamed to admit um yeah, so. yeah any, any intellectual different. sensibilities whatsoever. Mm. I mean, like, to your point, you know, when we were younger, you and I and our mutual friend, we would like leap upon anything to to make fun of each other. You know what I mean? Well, to this day, we still <laughs> take the piss out of our mutual friend because we found an ABBA Gold CD in his collection. <laughs> Not only did they have it on CD, he also had the cassettes in the glove box of his fucking Nissan Micra. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... And we still bring it up to this day, so maybe we aren't the best people to talk it's, about it's um, a horrible hypocrite situation. <laughs> yeah. um, have you ever um, farted in a can and rattled it? <laughs> that's, that's one thing that I haven't done. Um, I'm, I'm going to use that for my uh, next insult for my wife, though. It's beautiful. <laughs> Are we even farting a can and rattling? Is that a, was that a popular Glaswegian saying? Or? Never, never it heard it. But I mean, there's another. Never I never ever heard that before. Um, but Peter McDougall was good at sort of seizing upon these sort of west of Scotland things and putting them in his plays. And I get sort of he might have just made it up, but it sort of feels at home in the west of Scotland. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. To come back to earlier when I did my news story about Titanic mm. and I said, I'm going to come back to James Cameron. There is a, a point where Jodie is chasing Bunny and mm. they're, they're kind of having a laugh and chasing each other. And they kind of chase through this kind of canal like empty canal aqueduct did james cameron take that as inspiration for terminator 2 (laughs) when uh arnie's chasing maybe uh sorry the t-1000's chasing arnie in the truck yeah maybe yeah maybe it it, it reminded me of that it was like oh he maybe owes uh he maybe owes uh peter mcdougall and john mckenzie's estate a few quid um i think we should uh look into that and bring that up well i was i was gonna ask you so mm. there's some physical stuff that happens in the in the play. You know, there's the the the, the bit near the beginning when Bunny when he's hiding from Jody and he sort of falls down, he sort of rolls down the hill, yeah. and then obviously later on Bunny walks along the the fence for the little bridge and stuff like that, and they're running after each other. And there's a bit when Bunny sort of tackles Jody and they kind of roll down the hill together. Um, you think it felt like the actors were doing that themselves, especially yeah. it didn't feel there was any stunt 
people involved, especially that first hill roll that uh, Bunny does when he's hiding in the first few yeah. minutes. It feels like that's John that's John Morrison rolling down the hill. Well, I think it is. And that hill roll, we need to give a shout out to because there is a beautiful POV shot, yeah, I yeah. think, that I think Sam Raimi stole for Evil Dead in terms of <laughs> the kind of thing. So, um, John McKenzie... <laughs> Um, you need to get in touch with James Cameron and Sam Raimi to yeah. sue them because Evil Dead was 1978, two years after this. Um, well, I was going to ask you: Do you do you think Tom Tom Cruise has taken is is just copying John Morrison? Thinking, well, if, if John Morrison can roll down a hill, then I can I can do like a, a what do you call that an an angel jump? <laughs> a, sorry, a, a halo jump over the over Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think um, uh, John Morrison did influence um, Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom Cruise, yeah. Um, well. The other theory I had is when Bunny rolls down that hill, mm-hmm. did he smack his head in a rock and the oh. rest of it is all a dream? Maybe. So you think Bunny's just lying there unconscious and having this? Yeah. Yeah, no, well, maybe. It's... And no one will find him because they always think he's at the post office. <laughs> I think he's at... So he's fucked it. He's fucked it, yeah. I think he's out doing his, I think he's out at work. There is a there there's a fantastic shot that Mackenzie gets near the beginning of this when we're seeing Bunny sort of walking through the streets of Greenock and heading out to the countryside. Mm. And there's that shot where you see Bunny sort of walking up the hill, but in the foreground mm. there's the houses and everything like that of the yeah. community and you see him sort of silhouetted against the horizon. It's a, a fantastic shot that Mackenzie yeah, gets. It's beautiful. There. Really, really yeah. good shot. I thought anybody could make could make Greenick look as good as Mackenzie does. But it's just, I mean, is there is there anything wrong with this? It's beautifully filmed. It's beautifully scripted. It's Mm. wonderfully acted. Is there anything wrong with the Elephant's Graveyard at all? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the only thing wrong with it is that it's not something that is that is debated regularly um mm. you know and and revisited regularly do you know what i mean i think it's just uh you know and i think you know, you, you could say that about a uh, a lot of the a lot of the place for today and and something that i found out when i was doing my research the reason that the bbc stopped mate stopped the play for today series was because they what they wanted to reallocate the budget to make fucking eastenders oh fuck's sake <laughs> do you know what i mean i was like oh come on how depressing is that you know but there's a lot you know they there's some there's some fantastic ones from England as well, like from Willie Russell hmm. and Ken Loach and um, yeah. I, like, uh, Scum famously was a play for today. Of course. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like an extended one. Yeah. Some great ones that really launched people's careers and, you know, like we, we, we mentioned a little bit about it on the Lord of Tears thing, that these an, these anthology shows that you just don't really get anymore. You know what I mean? I think, I think it's, <clears throat> as you say, they try to to do it with like Inside Number 9 mm-hmm. and Well, they do it very Black well. Mirror. Yeah. You know, Black Mirror to a certain extent, but yeah, the BBC don't seem to... Well, they do inside number nine, of course, but, you know, there does need to be something else because there is an audience for it, and I would love to watch something like that. I can kind of dip in and out of, like, okay, I don't fancy the look of that because it's sores and sandals, whereas, you know, the next one, yeah, I'll I'll watch that. It it kind of... There does need to be something. Even if you're watching something that doesn't really appeal to you, you know that it's only a one-off, you know? Yeah. 
You can still enjoy it. Like, even the episodes of Inside Number 9, there's a couple that are set in kind of medieval times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's not for me, but I'll watch it because I, I trust the, the writers and the actors. Yeah, yeah. I know I'm, I'm going to enjoy it anyway. Mm-hmm. I'll get something out of this because I, I, I like them. So. so I was looking at, so I was thinking to myself, like, because, like, you know, you and I, well, not so much now, but certainly over the years when we were younger, we weren't above a bit of skiving. So I was, I, I had to look into what the sort of modern, you know, what would you do now to kind of shirk off work? And I found a page that gives us 10 ways to creatively skive off work in 2023. Oh, All right. Wow. Okay. So number one, first thing you can do, you can offer to spearhead the company's social media program. So every time someone hmm. sees you on like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, you can just point out that it's part of your work. Another thing you can do is if you've got your own office, you can close the door and put paper clips on the floor and then just just go to sleep on the floor by the door. When someone opens the door, they'll wake you up and you'll look like you're down there to pick up the paper clips. I think that yeah. I think that's stretching that's, a little bit. Yeah. That's yeah, a little bit too far, I think. Um number three, grab a pile of papers and a pen and start walking, but look stressed. That would probably work. Um, that's what I used to do all the time <laughs> in my last job. <laughs> oh, offer to look for something that has been lost, especially if your workplace has a lot of cupboards or the basement. Just, you know, take a take your phone, take a take a like a, a cushion, go down the basement, chill out. You could write a work problem on a pad in big letters and then stare out the window. And when someone questions you to ask what you're doing, you just show them the problem that you've written down in your pad and ask them not to interrupt you. Um, you can leave your computer on overnight and leave your coat in the car. So when you arrive at your desk at 10 o'clock, it'll let you be in the office since before everybody else got in and they've just been in a meeting. You could, this is a good one, you could you could find like-minded people and have a meeting and explain that you don't write anything down because you don't want to constrain anybody's ideas. Uh, you can lock yourself in the toilet with a newspaper or your phone. If anybody asks what you've been doing, you can just be really graphic about having a dodgy tummy. I feel like I've done that a couple of times in the past. <laughs> and then you can, you, you, you can text a friend when you feel like going home and ask them to call your work number. So when you answer the phone, you can say, oh dear God, yeah, I'll be right there and hang up and walk out and refuse to discuss because it's too painful so there's a couple ideas for you next time you feel like having a wee day off wonderful yeah I, i'll take that on board thank <laughs> you have you ever been have you ever have you ever been have you ever skived off like work or school yeah i think school a couple of times um work no not so much in fact that's a lie i do remember <laughs> I do remember one morning, um, it was when I was in Dubai, so obviously um, the time difference, and it was a Sunday morning I was at work, because back in the day when we worked Sundays in Dubai, um, and I did text to say that my car battery was flat, and I was waiting for a replacement, Right, and I would be in shortly, but it was because I was watching the UFC, (laughs) Um, because it was like a big, like it was a big Conor McGregor fight, and... um, <laughs> I, I said my car battery was flat, so I'd be in about ten o'clock. And miraculously, I came in like <laughs> half an hour after the fight ended. I remember in fifth and sixth year at school because obviously you're not under you're not under any obligation to be there because you're sixteen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean in Scotland? Yeah, true. And um, so the the year that I was in fifth year, for the first time, they said that you could self certify if you were off. So the video shop had just got res- <laughs> had just got Reservoir Dogs in, right? And I hadn't seen it. I'd seen Pulp Fiction, but I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs. So I went and got it out the night before, and then I went for the school bus. 
But really, I went down to the the railway station, with the, which is not a railway station anymore, but it's still there because the train tracks have gone. <laughs> but I, I went down there, hung out, had a couple of fags, and then when I felt comfortable that my mum and that would have left for work, I went back up and had a lovely day at home, watched Paul Fick, watched <laughs> the rest of our dogs a couple of times. <laughs> and then we went in the next day and went and self-certified and felt like I'd just pulled off the heist of the century. <laughs> oh. Unlike the protagonist in Reservoir Dogs, of course, famously. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately so. Yeah. Right, well... Time to put this through the Swally Awards? Yeah, let's do it. What have we got first? Because there's not there's a, lot, not a really. lot, but there is there is a few that we can mm-hmm. we can cover. So, uh, well, there's no pub, so there's no Bobby the Barman Award. I, I would say the, the burn does count the burn. as a pub, doesn't it? Because, well, the, the river, the burn, because um, Jody puts his fortified wine in there to chill so you've just reminded me of, of an important question that i meant to ask you did you catch which chilled red wine no did you no. catch the brand of the wine uh no i didn't actually no i didn't either i was i was hoping you had i don't think it's mentioned um yeah. in terms of the dialogue but yeah i didn't zoom in to to check what the brand was but i mean i, I presume it's meant to be kind of buckfast kind of Something, like, something like that, yeah. Fortified wine, because the two of them get pished after one bottle. And yeah. I don't know about you, but I mind you, at about 10 o'clock in the morning, maybe if I was to have half a bottle of red wine, maybe <laughs> yeah. I would be feeling a little bit worse <laughs> for wear. But um, at that time, so no. Yeah. Um, so no, I put the, the river or the burn as the, a, the pub. The, the, the other important question that I meant to ask you, have you ever worn a shoe with a prominent heel, like uh, like Bunny's shoes. No, I can't say I have. I've got a few pairs of Chelsea boots, but they don't have like a prominent heel yeah. as such. Um, no, I've never worn like a cowboy or a, like a Cuban heel. Is um, yeah, yeah. What you're probably asking? No, never have. No. What about yourself? No, I am quite short, but I've never felt the need to wear a Cuban heel. I've no, but I was reminded of a kind of mutual acquaintance, uh, techno jock. Remember, he used to wear the the kind of cowboy boots, didn't he? He did, yeah. Uh, a Cuban heel, a Cuban basically, heel. yeah. He did, yeah, you're right, yeah. I did. I mean, as much as as much as I would never have dressed like him. I sort of admired the fact that he just fucking wore what he wanted and didn't care what anybody thought about him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's the way you have to be, I think. Yeah. Fuck it. Good for him. Go for it. Um, okay, so the next award then, the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. So you can, you got you got the choice of two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did go for John Morrison, I yeah. think, purely because, yes. I mean, Billy Conley, I think you associate more with Scotland, mm-hmm. but John Morrison has been in more... Scottish production, so yeah, yeah, I went with John Morrison. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a f- only a few years after this came out, uh, Billy Connolly was making films with Michael Caine. He made that Water with Michael Caine and the yeah and stuff. So okay, uh, the Jake McQuillan Yartizu Award. So for this one, I went for because it's, it's not really violent, but I, I went for Bunny Falling in the Burn. The reflect sort of counts. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I went with because there is one point where Bunny grabs Jodie. And they roll down the hill. Yeah. And there's a good interaction yeah. where um, you gotta be careful. Jody's like, oh, be careful with the wine. You've got to be careful with these delicate wines. Yeah. Yes. Don't travel, with, don't travel well. Don't travel well. So that's what I went with for that. But yeah, yours is a, a good option too. <laughs> the closest thing to nudity we have is uh, a taps-off bunny drying his clothes. <laughs> 
<laughs> drying his clothes I, after falling in the burn. You know what? I didn't even include that. <laughs> I just put none. But you're yeah. right. He does take his tap off. But yeah, yeah. none. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you go for for archetypal Scottish moments? Um, I went for uh, near the beginning when they're in the the bothy kind of area, mm-hmm. and Jodie says to Bunny, "You're hanging about here like Robert the Bruce." <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself? I, I went for drinking in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's also a very good choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've actually missed one out in the normal order of things. Uh, the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. I mean, there's not a great deal. There's a bit when, when the buddy describes how he felt after having his first wank. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention that, actually. (laughs) You know something? I had one written down. There was a bit near the beginning when he... um, I think it's uh, Bunny that says something about cleaning shite out the cuckoo clock. (laughs) But I'd actually give it to... um, I think Jodie asks at Bunny. Mm. And Bunny says, Don't ach me, you old twat. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That was kind of, yeah, probably the the closest. But you're right, there's not a lot of bad language in this at all. No, not really. Not for like two guys. But then I suppose probably broadcast BBC One, nine o'clock at night-ish in the 70s, Mm. you know. Okay, and then our last award. It's a hard, well, maybe it's not that hard actually, but the Sean Connery Award for who do you think wins the the show? Um, Well, I'd say it's not hard because I gave it to both of them. Like, yeah. I can't split the two. Like, they're, they're both. I could give it to Conley because he is technically probably better. And as mm. I've explained on the episode, some of his facial expressions when. But then again, uh, John Morrison, I can't fault his as well. Yeah, yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, it's the. Once you watch it the second time and you see the looks they give each other, Bunny's giving Jody the look of, I know you from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And Jodie's giving Bunny the look of, have you not worked it out yet? It's it's just beautiful when well, you watch it like a second time and you, you pick up on that. It's just masterful. Yeah, there's there's the moment when Bunny's sort of looking intently at Jodie and Jodie says, you look like you spotted an enemy, you mm. know? And he's like, oh, no, I'm just thinking. Then he goes on to his, you know. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's so clever and so well-written and performed. I, I, just, I, I can't believe that it just doesn't come up more often, you know, just in general. I don't say this lightly. This could be one of the favourite things I've covered yeah. on the Swally. Like genuinely, I I just cannot speak highly enough yeah. about the elephant's graveyard and how amazing it is. So I would urge everyone listening to this to watch it if mm. you have not watched it before, which you should have, because we did mention a couple of times that we're going to give massive spoilers. We did anyway. So that was my choice, Greg. So why do you tell us what I'm going to be watching on my holiday <laughs> to cover? <laughs> on this swally. Uh, why don't you tell us what we're going to be covering on the next episode of The Culture Swally. So I've gone for something a little different to the last couple of things. I've gone for a movie um, and I've hmm. gone for I've gone for the 2000, uh, the year 2000 movie Beautiful Creatures starring the lovely Rachel Weiss and the lovely Susan Lynch but more importantly than that Alex Norton Jake Darcy and Ian Glenn um, not to be confused with the beautiful creatures from 2013 that Jeremy Irons is in which uh, when I was looking for information on it so I could do this little introduction to it is all I could find um, online until I I looked on um, 
Ian Glenn's filmography to get the actual what it was about. So yeah, I've never seen it before, so I'm looking forward to watching it. That has been on my list for quite some time of things that I wanted to cover and I've never got round to it and there must be about three or four times I've been like right I'm gonna do that next and then something else has popped into my mind but yeah I'm looking I've never seen it either however it came out around about the time that I was working in Blockbuster so I remember seeing the V like the DVD cover right constantly but I've never seen it so uh yeah I'm looking forward to watching that Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to follow us on the socials, you can follow us on Instagram uh, at CultureSwallyPod or on Twitter at SwallyPod. And if you have anything that you would like us to review or if you want to uh, just get in touch with us, then you can on Gmail on CultureSwally at gmail.com. And please feel free to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can visit our wonderful website as well, can't you, Greg? You can indeed. You can find us at cultureswally.com where you can find lots of interesting things about Scottish media as well as uh, the uh, links to other episodes. Come and check us out over there. Wonderful. Right. Well, That's I'm it. off to Barbados. I'm off to sunny Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get the crankies to write a song about your holiday? That <laughs> would oh, be wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to get um, pushed on the plane and get fired um, <laughs> when I get... Uh, my wife's probably going to fire me when I reach the other end. <laughs> so I'll be like poor Reese from The Apprentice. Poor Reese. But I will be watching um, Beautiful Creatures. Beautiful Creatures? That's it? it, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful creatures. creatures. Yeah, Beautiful Creatures. I'll be watching that okay. um, in Barbados and making my notes. Right. Okay, wonderful. All right. Thank you very much, Greg. Until next time. Until next time. I'm staring at 40. But up to then, it's the elephant's graveyard. It's where you come to die. Nobody knows where it is but yourself. See you again, Winnie, son. The best to you, Jodie.